Good day, everyone. Uh, this is the Ontolog Forum, and uh, it's December 6th, year 2007. Uh, we are presenting the Ontolog Invited Speaker uh, Series again today, and we have the honor of having uh, Professor Mark Musen from Stanford to join us as the invited speaker. Uh, Professor Musen is the head of the Stanford Center for Biomedical Informatics Research. Uh, more of you might know that uh, institution as Stanford Medical Informatics, and he is the principal investigator of the National Center for Biomedical Ontology uh, Research Consortium. Uh, Mark has been a long time uh, community member and supporter of the Ontolog activities, and uh, we are happy to have Mark back again to tell us about the NCBO, National Center for Biomedical Ontology, today. Uh, this talk actually was prompted by Professor Barry Smith, uh, actually quite a while back, and, and uh, we are so happy that Mark could join us today. I mean, Mark actually needs little uh, introduction. Uh, people in the community would uh, have known him for a long time. Uh, his bio uh, is, is enumerated uh, at the wiki page, session page, so I would not uh, spend uh, time on it, but instead uh, give the floor to Mark so that we can optimize on the time to hear him talk rather than myself. Okay, all yours, Mark. Thank you very much, Peter. That was a very generous introduction, and it's very, it's very exciting for me to have a chance to talk to you all again, knowing that there are so many friends who are on the, on the list of attendees for this session. Uh, I'm not going to be able to talk about everything going on at the NCBO. There's actually a lot of activity, and you'll be hearing about some of those other activities as we proceed, I guess, over the next, next few years. What I wanted to do was to talk about one of the major technology developments that we're working on and to give you a flavor for what we view as the principal challenges, both technically but also socially, in terms of building technology for managing ontologies and archiving and distributing ontologies, particularly for users who uh, clearly have a vested interest and a desire to be able to participate in this work, but also may not quite know what they want or how to make what they are using better. And so hopefully as we, as we go through the talk, you'll get a sense for some of our challenges, and I'm looking forward to hearing questions from you and suggestions from you as well. Um, I will welcome questions as we go through the talk. Uh, I know the, the, the procedure for posting questions is kind of challenging, but uh, if Peter can mediate and you want, you want to interrupt at any time, please feel free to do that. And obviously we'll have some time at the end for questions as well. Um, what I'd like to do is first go to slide two and acknowledge basically a lot of colleagues who have contributed to the work that you'll hear about this morning. Um, and on slide two, you'll see just a list of, of names of folks who have, have all participated directly in the development of the BioPortal system and who are helping us as we move forward in, we hope, really radically changing the way people in biomedicine access ontologies and, um, and, and use them in, in their work. If you go to slide three, 
you'll see right away that there is a long history of ontologies and controlled terminologies in biomedicine. Slide three shows you a very tiny portion of what is called the International Classification of Diseases, something managed by the World Health Organization now in its ninth revision. And it gives you just a flavor for why ontologies, at least in clinical medicine, are important. ICD is a controlled terminology, and it's basically required for anyone who wants to practice medicine almost anywhere in the world. In the United States, if you don't have ICD and, and code your office visits or your clinical encounters using the terms in this vocabulary, there's no way to get reimbursed. And uh, it's interesting how ontologies become important in, in clinical practice, primarily because they're so essential to the entire financing of healthcare, at least in the United States. And it just the fact that ICD has been around in various forms for almost 150 years shows you that there's a long tradition of ontologies on the clinical side in biomedicine. Slide four shows you a screenshot of the NCI thesaurus. Uh, the National Cancer Institute made the decision um, nearly 10 years ago that ontologies were central to what its mission was, and in fact what the NCI wanted to do was to be able to encode in a controlled electronic form everything that was important to the NCI in its portfolio. And the NCI thesaurus is an attempt to build an ontology now of about 40,000 terms uh, that deal with everything from cancer biology to controlled trials and oncology to what we know about clinical oncology. And it shows you how NCI and a number of other government agencies have captured the, uh, the religion of ontology and recognized its importance for work that, that's done uh, in translating basic work in, in cancer biology into new cures for cancer. Slide five uh, shows you a number of logos, which all deal with a wide range of resources that are important for basic life scientists. And what's been really interesting, I think, over the past um, 10 years or so has been the proliferation of databases and online resources that uh, capture what the world knows about the life sciences in machine processable form. And, in fact, at the center of the slide, which I've stolen from Carol Goebel's presentation of a couple years ago, what you see is Go, the gene ontology which has been an attempt to try to unify what we know about genes and gene products among all the various model organisms that biologists study. And so biologists are concerned with mice and uh, with plants and with yeast and with uh, microorganisms called dictostelium and roundworms. And all of these uh, have organisms have been studied, their genomes have been sequenced, and the ways in which genes are expressed in these organisms has become the active area of study for, for numerous investigators. And ontologies are at the center of all this, and the gene ontology in particular has been absolutely critical in order to be able to unify the knowledge that is in these various uh, online resources. And indeed, if you go to slide six, you'll see a browser which shows you how biologists most commonly access the gene ontology, which is uh, an enormously important ontology that is used throughout the life sciences for, for accessing these, these, these online resources. 
And so if anything is clear, it's that people in the life sciences and in clinical medicine uh, have really become not only enamored with ontologies, but recognize why ontology is critical for the work that they do on a regular basis. Go to slide seven. Uh, what I've listed are some of the goals that are, are important for the use of biomedical ontologies. And they range the gamut from the uh, use of ontologies to provide classification of biomedical entities, which is a, an important goal, which is, is now 300 years old. We think of the, the, the Linnaeus system for speciation and the use of uh, the binomial nomenclature for, for identifying biological species as being perhaps one of the most important advances in our understanding of ontology and classification in the, in the life sciences. Uh, the ability of using ontologies to annotate data that allow summarization and comparison across databases. And I mentioned the gene ontology a minute ago. This is probably where the gene ontology has been most important so that people who are uh, creating these large online databases of biomedical facts can use the gene ontology to ensure that those facts are described using standard terms and can allow comparison across the various representations for information about worms and geese and mice and rats and everything else that's important in biomedicine. People use ontologies for semantic data integration. That's obviously not unique to biomedicine to drive natural language processing. Again, hardly unique uh, to biomedicine, and, and, and as the foundation for engineering complex software systems. And so as modular software systems, as model-driven uh, architectures become important in biomedicine, ontologies are at the center. And I think probably what is most interesting to all of us is the idea of ontology as the way of capturing biomedical knowledge and specifying it formally. And indeed, when we think about the, uh, the NCI thesaurus, the principal reason for creating the NCI thesaurus in the, initially was not for data annotation or driving natural language processing or any of the other things for which it's been used, but simply to provide this machine understandable representation of everything that's in the NCI portfolio and basically to serve as a way of capturing formally what we know about cancer. And that, 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 that drive has represented itself in a variety of biomedical ontologies, uh, the national, uh, the, the Foundational model of anatomy, for example, which has been Cornelius Ross's life work, represents everything we know about human anatomy that you would find in the textbook in machine processable form. And again, that ontology was created primarily as a way of specifying everything that we know about anatomy in a way where machines can use it, primarily for the goal of just simply providing that formal specification of knowledge. We go to slide eight. What you'll see is what has resulted from this uh, central importance of ontology in biomedicine, and that is the desire among biomedical scientists to be able to have ontologies available in a way where they can be browsed, accessed, downloaded, and used. And what you see here is the Open Biomedical Ontologies Library, which was created uh, some 10 years ago by uh, Susie uh, Lewis and Michael Ashbrenner, two principal uh, developers of the gene ontology. And the OBO or OBO library basically contains about 
uh, four or five dozen ontologies that people in the biomedical community have contributed and are used for a variety of purposes. critically important. It contains uh, universally used ontologies like the gene ontology, which you see uh, on this list. You also see a lot of ontologies, as you can imagine, which have uh, more limited applicability in biomedicine but are obviously important for their developers. So Arabidopsis gross anatomy is the first ontology on this alphabetical list. Arabidopsis is an important plant that's been studied in biology. It's obviously of, of critical importance to a number of biomedical scientists. And that obviously is, is relevant. Sometimes you see things like the down about, about two-thirds of the way down the list, the loggerhead fish nesting behavior ontology, which obviously has less applicability uh, across bio, biomedicine, but still is important for the people who use it. It gives you a sense for the range of the kinds of things that people are encoding in, in, in biomedicine. Um, Slide 9 shows you a resource which recently came online. This is the uh, ontology lookup service uh, created by uh, the European Bioinformatics Institute, which gives you the ability to search a large number of ontologies, mostly the same ontologies that are in the oboe library. And one can search ontologies for particular terms. And as you see in slide 10, the ontology lookup service gives you the ability also to browse ontologies through a tree browser and get a sense for what's there. So, I mean, what, what's, what's clear is that ontologies are critically important in biomedicine. People in biomedicine have religion about ontologies and recognize how in an area where there's so much importance and so much uh, emphasis placed on data generation, data integration, and where high-throughput data uh, development leads to so much information online, there's really a need to be able to organize it, and ontology is your key. But as slide, slide 11 sort of caricaturizes, um, there's really, if you will, a cottage industry throughout biomedicine where individual scientists largely create ontologies working in very small groups, uh, mainly for their own purposes, and without a lot of information available to them that makes it possible for ontologies to adhere to good uh, rational uh, norms of ontology development, and indeed where there's an enormous need to bring together not only the biologists, but ontologists and people who understand knowledge representation and computation in order to do a better job. So as I say on slide 12, in biology, there's a lot of people building ontologies, but if you will, a lot of them are, are almost hobbyists. Uh, basically, nearly always these ontologies in biology in particular have been created to address practical needs that are pressing rather than to uh, represent the development of ontologies with broad requirements created over time by people who have experienced this kind of work. Well, slide 13 points out that one of the consequences of the situation where there's such burning need on the part of the life scientists to create ontologies, but often so little expertise in how to do that, is that one of the issues that we've been faced with in the biomedical community is the fact that ontology quality uh, is a real problem and that there are substantial issues in trying to assure that the ontologies that people are using and the ontologies that people are promoting uh, meet certain standards that make them usable and make them uh, compatible with other kinds of ontologies that people might want to use. So 
they're real problems because, um, as you know, in biomedicine, there's a long tradition of peer review, which assures the quality of communication in print media. But we don't have a good mechanism that's equivalent for assuring the quality of ontologies. Uh, you, although there's a long tradition of peer review in print, the idea of sending out ontologies to a couple of experts and asking for opinions obviously is kind of crazy. Uh, the idea of, then of opening up ontologies to review by anybody obviously provides more access and more opinions, but synthesizing those opinions is, is, is difficult. Um, there are some top-down solutions which might offer some rigid review criteria, but the question is uh, how scalable is that approach and are there enough folks around to help with sort of the top-down uh, administration of ontology quality. And, and, and frankly, what we really need, as, as I'll emphasize throughout this talk, is uh, empirical evaluation of alternative methods for ontology evaluation so that we can gain experience with uh, approaches that will ensure uh, our ontologies are optimal and at the same time have a reproducible framework by which we can, we can apply these, these quality assurance principles. Slide 14 is stolen from Barry Smith's website. One of the initiatives that Barry has been involved in in championing, championing is a way of trying to deal with the proliferation of biomedical ontologies, particularly the proliferation of bad ontologies in biomedicine, through an approach which he's called the oboe foundry. And the oboe foundry involves not only Barry, but some of the initial founders of the gene ontology uh, in, a, in, in a really ambitious effort to help create a set of interoperable ontologies, which might be referred as gold standard reference ontologies. And the idea is that working with Barry, working with other members of the uh, uh, curating board of, of the OBA Foundry, there would be a way of ensuring that ontologies with essentially this good housekeeping seal of approval are able to interoperate, have certain standards, and, and, and meet some quality metrics. And so if you go to, to uh, slide 15, you'll see uh, a screenshot of a website uh, where Barry has enumerated the uh, criteria for the Oboe Foundry, which uh, involves a number of issues, which are some syntactic, some semantic, some uh, more philosophical, in terms of how ontologies are uh, supported within this community of investigators who have agreed to the particular principles outlined on this slide. So the, the assumption is the Oboe Foundry ontologies would agree to be interoperable, would agree to uh, use unique identifiers and standard representation languages, would have well-delineated content, and at the same time, the, not only would the ontologies meet certain standards, uh, but the developers of those ontologies would agree to participate in the experiment that Barry and his colleagues are, are organizing, where there would be ongoing refinement of ontologies as the goal is to bring those ontologies into shape and to make them uh, unique for particular domains and to make them uh, interoperate in, in ways which are well-defined on the website. This top-down approach, though, um, is an experiment. And lots of folks have raised questions for uh, how well can the Oboe Foundry scale? 
How well can we replicate what Barry and his colleagues are doing in a large number of domains for a large number of ontologies to be able to deal with the breadth of ontologies that are being presented not only in, in biomedicine but in, but in e-science generally. And then there are philosophical questions about who gets to reject an ontology on the basis of, a, of its former content from the foundry, uh, how, to, how do people interact with the with the foundry curators, and, if you will, who will curate the curators to assure that they are operating in a way which is appropriate. Um, obviously, uh, one has faith in Barry and his colleagues, but at the same time, how will this, how will this replicate in other domains? How will there be, how, how will this actually play out? And that's why this experiment is really so interesting and why so many people are watching it. And it's symbolic of the real challenge that we have in biomedicine of trying to create ontologies that are useful, applicable, and, and of high quality. In fact, that is why the National Center for Biomedical Ontology was created, and that's why I'm here today talking to you about some of the initiatives that we're doing that are complementary to the Oboe Foundry in a way that will, I hope, over the years give us technology and processes that will enable ontologies to become useful and more broadly applicable and of higher quality. So slide 17 lays out a description of what the National Center for Biomedical Ontology is. Uh, right now there are seven centers that are uh, created by NIH, the National Centers for Biomedical Computing. Ours is one of the three that were established in 2005, and it represents a collaboration among a large number of investigators, Stanford, Berkeley, Mayo, Buffalo, University of Victoria in Canada, UCSF, Oregon, and Cambridge in the UK. And our goal is to make ontology accessible and usable in biomedicine, and we're doing research and development to create technologies for dissemination, indexing, alignment, and the equivalent of peer review, and that's what I'm, I'm here today to talk about. To emphasize slide, 17, slide 18, rather, is a, is a stump of the screenshot of the website of the NIH roadmap, and I want to emphasize that our center, like the other seven centers for, for biomedical computing, is funded by NIH, hoping to be able to use funds which are not assigned to any of the particular NIH institutes to be able to create interdisciplinary projects that will have applicability across biomedicine. And indeed, when you go to slide 19, you can see the centers that have already been created under the, of the, under the NIH roadmap. And if you go to the website that's listed on this slide, you'll have a chance to browse information about the seven national centers for biomedical computing, of which our Center for Biomedical Ontology is one. So if you go to slide 20, you'll see that NCBO, the National Center for Biomedical Ontology, is hoping to create technology for uploading, browsing, using biomedical ontology, methods that will provide the equivalent of publication of ontologies that's more like the publication of biomedical journal articles, and tools that we hope will enable the biomedical community to put ontologies uh, to use. And today I want to talk specifically about BioPortal, slide 20, or rather slide, slide uh, 21, shows the goals for BioPortable. What we hope in BioPortal is to create a web-accessible repository that will allow ontologies to be accessed basically through one-stop shopping. 
There will be a large number of ontologies that BioPorta will support locally. Other ontologies will be located elsewhere in cyberspace. And the goal is to enable peer review, to allow users to annotate ontologies to the equivalent of what we could call marginalia, being able to write comments on ontologies overall or on particular distinctions that ontologies make, to enable ontology versioning, alignment, and, and search. And uh, if you go to slide 22, indeed, you'll see what BioPortal looks like today. So if you go to http colon slash slash bioportal.bioontology.org, what you'll see is our current uh, web browser, which essentially provides a lot of the features that are easily accessible right now through the OBO uh, library that I showed you earlier that's on SourceForge. And what the BioPortal website allows you to do is first to simply browse ontologies. We have a few dozen ontologies currently in the OBO uh, library in BioPortal. Um, and you'll be able to see how they're created, what representation languages are used, uh, what versions uh, are stored, and essentially to be able to click on icons to browse those ontologies, to download them, or to search them, finding particular terms. So I'm going to, what I want to do first is to just give you a flavor for what the current uh, what the current bio, bio portal website offers, and, and, and slide 22 provides sort of this this, this gross overview of the, of the catalog of, of ontologies. If you go to slide 23, you'll see that there's a way of browsing ontologies through, again, a tree browser, which shows you the taxonomic relationships within those ontologies, as well as various ways to visualize those ontologies using the AT&T Graphis uh, utility. And so there's a local neighborhood view where you can click on uh, a term in the ontology and see what its neighbors are locally. Slide 24 shows you the hierarchy to root view where you can actually trace the path from any term in the ontology to the root in the ontology and understand how it's related. And fundamentally get, get, get a, a, a feeling uh, for how the ontology entities are, are related to one another. Slide 25 shows you the capability that we now have within BioPortal for doing rather complex search. And so it's possible to search for particular uh, lexical entities within ontologies across a set of selected ontologies. It's possible to use Soundex to find uh, terms that may sound like a particular string if it's not clear how to spell something. And all this is possible because the back end for the BioPortal system is the LexGrid uh, system that's been created by our colleagues at the Mayo Clinic, which incorporates Lucene indexing in a very effective way. And uh, I should emphasize that um, Stanford is building the, uh, the front end layers of the, of the BioPortal system, and Mayo is responsible for the LexGrid back end. And fundamentally, this is what we have now. It's actually it's been up there for several months. And as you see on slide 26, we're pretty excited because there are a lot of folks who are starting to use BioPortal as part of their routine workflow. Uh, the National Cancer Institute is using BioPortal right now as a means for accessing a large number of ontologies, which it hopes to reference or incorporate within ontology work taking place within the CA Big project. The CA Big project is NCI's large national effort to link together the, the national uh, cancer centers that NCI fund with a common infrastructure. Uh, there's a biomedical informatics research network, which receives 
uh, substantial funding from NIH for essentially uh, imaging within neurobiology. And, uh, the BURN initiative is creating an ontology, which is really more a terminology for integrating uh, annotations among images. And the BURN-LEX uh, uh, resource is now being developed within BioPortal, and we find that pretty exciting, getting lots of really good feedback from the BURN folks. The Radiological Society of North America is creating its uh, terminology for standard representation of, of, of medical images. And again, uh, the Radlex ontology is available through BioPortal and is being used uh, within the workflow of the Radlex community for, for development. And again, it's just another uh, community using our, our, our resources, which gives us feedback and, and which is really important to us in terms of being able to understand how users want to use online ontology repositories. Uh, but that's what we have now. What I really want to do through the majority of the talk, I admit, admittedly, is going to be future tense. But I want to give you a sense for where we're going with BioPortal, because what we have right now is pretty straightforward technology. Uh, what I hope to do is give you a sense for where we're going with this, and obviously to get your feedback on the kinds of, of features that we think biomedical scientists are going to want to use um, as they adopt BioPortal for their particular needs. So slide 27 uh, really shows you what our longer-term longer goals are with BioPortal. We want to be able to disseminate knowledge on the web using ontologies. That's pretty clear. We want to be able to integrate and align online ontology content. And I think one of the important goals uh, that we have that we share with lots of folks is the ability to show how ontologies, whether they're part of controlled efforts such as the Ovo Foundry or ad hoc contributions to the biomedical ontology space, relate to one another, how, how, they, are in, how they might be integrated, um, how they attempt to address different aspects of, of particular domains. We want to be able to visualize ontology and really provide cognitive support for folks who are trying to understand what is in ontologies. And I think one of the greatest challenges that ontology users have is in managing the complexity that ontologies present, and we believe visualization tools are really critical in order to be able to allow users to be able to access ontologies in a way which will make them coherent, make them understandable. And as I've already said, Although peer review is something that folks in the biomedical sphere do for a living in terms of their publication with respect to journal articles and print media, the idea of peer review for online ontology content is something which is just evanescent, and we're hoping that BioPortal will provide some models where we can experiment with those kinds of activities. Look at slide 28. I'll just remind you about the NCI thesaurus because I'll use that as a running example. The NCI thesaurus, as I said, represents an attempt by the National Cancer Institute to create an online representation of basically everything that's in the NCI portfolio. And the NCI thesaurus is one of those many ontologies that we can browse not only in the current version of BioPortal but in the prototype version that we're now experimenting with. So slide 29 shows you not the current version of BioPortal, but the future version that is the of, of form of the system that we're experimenting with in our laboratory. And what you see on this slide is not only the tree browser that shows you what's in BioPortal but in a taxonomic representation, but also, again, that AT&T GraphBiz uh, facility that's in BioPortal that allows you to uh, navigate uh, through the complexity 
of the, of the system. And, uh, and because the NCI thesaurus is so large, admittedly, there are views of, uh, of the thesaurus that are so complex that graph is really is, is not adequate for showing the complexity of the relationships and for providing the kind of information that people need if they want to get a handle on how the uh, thousands of terms in the, in, the, in the thesaurus relate to one another. We show uh, our initial efforts in integrating within BioPortal the visualization capabilities that our colleagues at the University of Victoria have created uh, for visualization. And for those of you who are familiar with the protege system, uh, we've been working hand-in-hand uh, -hand with the Victoria folks for a long time in creating visualization plugins. What you see in this slide is uh, the Jambalaya uh, plugin that you are familiar with in protege in a very stripped-down version, which is providing a way of accessing uh, the ontology uh, of the NCI thesaurus in a, in a more re readily understandable framework. Uh, what it doesn't have is all the, the complexity of Jambalaya as we have it in Protege. Slide 31 shows you not Jambalaya in BioPortal, but the Jambalaya system in Protege. And those of you who are familiar with it know that it really is quite, quite adept at visualizing ontologies in a lot of interesting views. Uh, it's able to use animation in a way which makes it easy to, uh, hone down on a particular component of the ontology at the same time to be able to understand how ontology components relate to one another. And uh, emphasizing in slide 32, the idea that there's just lots of different visualization metaphors in Jambalaya. And what we're working on very actively right now is the ability to adapt all of those visualization metaphors within BioPortal so that BioPortal users will be able to browse through ontologies and understand how they relate to one another um, in ways which are just not possible through traditional visualization methods. And so although this is a coming attraction, it's one that we're pretty excited about. As I've been saying throughout the talk, though, one of the real questions we're dealing with is what does it mean to be able to assure ontology quality. And I think this is really the, the, the holy grail for the biomedical community because fundamentally there are so many important ontologies that people use. There are so many bad ontologies that people use, and it's really hard to know how to assess quality. And the problem, of course, as you see on slide 33, is that ontologies are just not journal articles. Um, it's pretty hard in a journal article sometimes to read the article and have a sense for whether the data that I presented are sound. But with ontologies, it's just really hard to look at an ontology and understand whether it's making the right distinction simply by inspection. And even if we inspect an ontology and know that it's not quite what we want, there may, be well, there may well be parts of that ontology that are okay, that make distinctions that are reasonable for the task at hand, and we may choose to use an ontology uh, because we know that the part that we want to use is, is satisfactory, even though parts of the ontology elsewhere may, may not be well designed. Uh, slide 34 continues and shows that the, the utility of ontologies within any, any domain often depends on the task for which we want to use that ontology, and an ontology which may not be sufficiently well-designed for supporting, say, natural language processing, may be completely satisfactory for the task of data annotation. 
where the logical uh, relationships among entities may not necessarily have to be as sound. And so because of that, that task dependency and because the utility of ontologies is highly subjective, we recognize that there are a variety of takes that users may have in assessing the quality of ontology and that the expertise and the biases of individual reviewers will vary widely. And if we recognize that we may not want to just submit ontologies to review by a couple of reviewers, as we do in journal articles, the idea of opening up ontologies to review by the entire community um, is something that we recognize may be important given the variety of uh, assessments that people may have, but how to manage those assessments uh, is really difficult, and that's really what we're trying to experiment with within BioPortal. So slide 36 says that what we would like to experiment with is this notion of community-based annotation as, as, as a method of peer review. Um, although we recognize this is going to be hard to manage, there's, some, there's an appeal to being able to make the assessment of ontology quality, if you will, a democratic process. And there's an assumption that as users apply ontology in different ways, that they will be able to make assessments of ontologies that are going to be achievable and useful uh, in ways which are not possible simply by inspection of ontologies, and that we want to be able to get that kind of user feedback. There's also, of course, the assumption that, 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 that users will even be motivated to do so. And I think one of the unknowns is if we provide a facility for community-based peer review, uh, will end users really want to engage in the kind of dialogue that will enable us to benefit from their perspective and their, and their experiences? And that obviously is an open question. Regardless, slide 36 shows you how we're beginning to be able to support this kind of annotation within the BioPortal prototype. And so, for example, when you look at the tree browser on the left-hand side of the screen dump from the current prototype, what you see are some symbols that indicate how ontology terms may be annotated or specialized or applied in particular ways. That little yellow note kind of uh, uh, icon is whether we're currently indicating that a particular term in the ontology uh, has a marginal note associated with it. And marginal notes in the prototype are more than just notes. They're whole threaded discussions. So when you look at this slide, you see, for example, that the user has selected a term from the MCI thesaurus called disease, disorder, or finding. And this is obviously uh, mocked up. But what we see is a dialogue here where one user has said, you know, having a term in the ontology with this kind of disjunction um, probably is not a good name, a good way to, to name a class. And you see a response, well, you see there is a response, it's not open in this particular screen dump, where a user has responded uh, with, with, with her opinion on the particular statement being made by uh, the initial uh, discussant. And the, what we're hoping to achieve through this kind of technology is the idea of having whole threaded discussions among ontology users, uh, between ontology users and the developers of the ontology, or even where the uh, ontology developers may want to leave a particular comment on the design uh, distinctions or the, the, uh, the design rationale for making particular distinctions in the ontology. We, we view this as a way 
where ultimately we can turn to BioPortal and not only see the ontology, but see metadata in the form of these threaded discussions that will allow users to understand overall where the ontology um, may have quality problems or may be actually quite usable, and at, at the level of particular entities or subtrees, be able to see threaded discussions that will tell us um, how other users have used the ontology and provide a basis for new users to make, dis make decisions about how they might want to use um, a particular ontology that's in the BioPortal library. Slide 37 shows that we're currently supporting this through, if you will, an ontology of marginal notes. And what we hope to be able to do ultimately is to make, not, make these threaded discussions not just textual email, if you will, that's, that's being sent back and forth, but structured email that would allow computer-based agents to be able to browse the marginalia the same way that people will. And ultimately, we're, 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 we're betting on uh, the belief that users will want to do this the same way that users want to address uh, community-based annotation in well-known resources uh, like Amazon. Slide 38, for example, uh, just gives you a flavor of a, you know, a well-known book that people have quite uh, vary, varied opinions on. And as you see in slide 39, some people love it, some people hate it. And we're hoping ultimately, as you see on slide 40, that we're going to have the same kinds of dialogue among users within BioPortal as they look at particular biomedical ontologies. Some may love it, some may hate it, but through these dialogues, users will be able to assess whether ontologies are, 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 are appropriate for the kinds of tasks to which they want to apply them. That's obviously our wish. Slide 41 shows you that the goal ultimately is to have an open rating system where basically anyone can go to BioPortal, can make marginal notes on an ontology, or actually rate an ontology on some sort of Likert scale and say how good or how bad it is. Um, and ultimately, ontology evaluation then becomes a community-based initiative. And although it's way down the line, we don't have this, this implemented at all in our current prototype, we may want to implement some sort of web of trust where a user can specify those evaluators whom they trust the most as a way of filtering out uh, important comments from, from the noise if we're lucky enough to really have a cacophony of users who want to be able to make comments in ontologies and make statements about uh, how good or how bad they are. Uh, back to slide uh, 42. Um, so we're assuming that, that, that people will be reviewing ontologies posing questions such as what, what is the level of user support, what kind of documentation is available, what's the granularity, is it is the granularity appropriate, uh, how well is the coverage, um, has this ontology actually been used successfully for much, uh, where has it succeeded, where has it failed. And these, these kinds of, of, of issues we think will be really important as people uh, have the opportunity to give the kind of feedback that we think is really essential for users to decide among themselves whether ontologies meet, their cert meet certain quality metrics and also as users attempt to give feedback to the ontology developers through the same mechanism. Uh, slide 43 shows you additional features that we have where people can actually make proposals of changes that they'd like to make to the ontology, either in terms of the ontology structure, uh, ontology uh, content, uh, the uh, definitions or the textual knowledge that's associated with ontologies. And as you see, people can actually go down to the 
granularity of the actual pros, make proposals for changes, and we'll see as this plays out whether we can actually create mechanisms where users in the community can intelligently vote on those changes and make suggestions for how ontology should evolve. Slide 44 and it opens up a new area of work for us, and that is recognizing that in the ideal world, uh, obviously we have a situation where ontologies are written in the same language or at least in interconvertible languages where there's no overlap in the coverage, where we don't have to worry about versioning, we don't have to worry about uh, complexity in the, in the uh, taxonomy, where ontologies are modular and uh, reusable. Uh, obviously, this is a lot of the, uh, the rationale behind the Oboe Foundry, trying to be able to control the way ontologies are created so that they meet uh, these really uh, ideal principles. Uh, slide 45, though, emphasizes that, uh, unfortunately, in the real world, um, there's a lot of bad news that ontologies are in many languages, uh, some knowledge representation formats which are not uh, convertible, or most of which are not convertible without loss of information, where there's lots of overlap in coverage, and people may make different kinds of distinctions or make different distinctions about the same domain. There's a whole problem in versioning where what may be true in one version is not true in the next version, where there's multiple inheritance and multiple hierarchies and, and lack of modularity. And um, although one would love to have a situation where we could just simply not have to deal with ontologies that don't meet the, the criteria of, uh, optimal, of the optimal situation. Unfortunately, almost all of our legacy ontologies are such where they have, they're, they're messy and they uh, are not ideal. And as you see on page 46, or slide 46, what we've been working on at Stanford for a long time, which is largely the, the work of Natasha Noy, a, re, a research scientist in my group, is a system called Prompt, which through a variety of related algorithms looks for similarities between ontologies, compares versions, extracts meaningful portions, and, and integrates uh, all of this within the protege environment. And slide uh, 47 shows you a screen dump of Prompt. Uh, I realize some of you have used this, but to some of you this is quite new, which allows you to look at uh, a source and a target ontology, and Prompt is able to look at those ontologies and make suggestions, for example, how those ontologies might relate to one another. So what you see in this screen dump are two different ontologies, and you see in, on the left-hand side is a source ontology where the user has selected the class thesis, and Prompt has suggested that thesis in this ontology from uh, Carnegie Mellon University might actually be the same entity as thesis as it exists in an ontology that uh, was created at the University of Maryland, and makes a suggestion that these are identical frames, and we should probably uh, declare them as identical. The user has the ability to either accept or reject Prompt's uh, uh, recommendations, and although no one uh, can really map ontologies to one another automatically, and really not given the problems of understanding semantics, uh, uh, Prompt provides a semi-automated way of rapidly uh, identifying mappings between disparate ontologies and, and storing those mappings in, the, in terms of a mapping ontology, which captures uh, in a structured way how one ontology might relate to another. Why am I telling you all this? 
Well, one of the uh, exciting things that we're experimenting with in the new version of BioPortal, as seen on, on slide 48, is the ability to upload a whole set of prompt-generated mappings into BioPortal so that a user browsing ontologies in BioPortal can see how those prompt-generated mappings play out across all the ontologies that are stored in the repository. So if you look at the left-hand side with, at the tree browser, the user has selected the entity blood, and there's a little icon next to that to suggest that there's a mapping associated with that. And what you see is that a user has uploaded from prompt a whole set of mappings across anatomy ontologies, and we see that uh, within the zebrafish anatomy ontology, the word or the term blood maps to the term blood in the mouse anatomy ontology. And I guess it's not surprising that those entities should be viewed as identical. And so we can go through any of the ontologies in the BioPortal prototype and see where users have uploaded a whole set of prompt mappings to see how they play out. That's one way in which we do mappings in the prototype. The other is shown on slide 49, where we can create point-to-point -point mappings. And again, the question is, you know, if we build it, will they come? Will users want to create their own mappings as they browse an ontology? And here one is suggesting that the term uh, the term in the NCI thesaurus relates to the term blood in the adult mouse anatomy ontology. And that's created simply by uh, saying while browsing the NCI thesaurus that one wants to create this point-to-point this -point mapping. And will users effectively doodle their way through ontologies, creating new mappings that may be of value to future users? We certainly hope so. Uh, and that's obviously something that we, we are experimenting with. Uh, one of the things that users can do, uh, as you see on slide 50, is to say, um, you know, I've created this mapping, and I want to be able to uh, basically push that mapping onto all the users who have uh, subscribed to information about that ontology or this subtree of the ontology or this particular entity. And the idea is that uh, users, as they enter these mappings, as they enter marginal notes, as they enter proposals for changes, can push these uh, onto RSS feeds. And as you see on slide 51, there's going to be a home page uh, for the new version of BioPortal where there will be subscribed feeds where users can say, I want to hear about proposed changes to the NCI thesaurus or to the toad anatomy ontology or, or to whatever. And they can really see how uh, the ontologies that they care about have been examined by other users, how those users have left comments or proposals for changes uh, or new mappings. And so that provides a targeted way for users who care about specific domains to be able to track actively what's happening in BioPortal and to know where the proposals for change are rather than having to find them by serendipity or to browse through all of the myriad ontologies that ultimately will be stored in the repository. And again, along those lines, slide 52 emphasizes that BioPortal will provide users with the ability to get views on the repository. They may want to see, for example, only the ontologies that have been blessed by the Oboe Foundry or have been adopted by HL7, the standards group important for clinical uh, informatics. Or they may want to see only those ontologies that have been incorporated within the Unified Medical Language System or those ontologies that have been created by the World Health Organization or God knows. And so we're, we're, we're uh, 
being able to we're, we're working on the a functionality that will create if, if you will a my bio portal so that users can subscribe to a view of the repository which would be more limited but again would be focused on ontologies that either they have selected or that have been endorsed by particular standards bodies to go to slide 53 what I'll show you again is uh, that view of the NCI thesaurus that we showed earlier. And you see the various entities in the, in, in the NCI thesaurus and how that plays out in terms of a graphical view of the complex relationships among those entities. What I wanted to emphasize, which I haven't said previously, is that if you look along the top of the graph, you see a bunch of tabs. You see a way of visualizing this thesaurus, which is the tab that's been selected. You see a way of looking at particular details of the class that's been selected in the tree browser, a way for entering the marginal notes for that particular class or subtree, uh, the mappings, which you've already seen, that can exist between entities in the ontology. What I want to show you next is, a, is the tab that's called Resources, because I think this opens up a lot of interesting opportunities for the biomedical community who will be using and accessing the ontologies in BioPortal. So if you're browsing the NCI thesaurus and you click on the resources tab, what you end up seeing are a whole set of uh, resources that exist out in cyberspace that are linked to that particular selected entity. So slide 54 shows you that if you select, for example, hepatocellular carcinoma as an entity in the NCI thesaurus, if you were to go out into cyberspace, you would find that in a limited version of PubMed, there are 29 articles in the medical literature that talk about hepatocellular carcinoma. It's obviously a limited subset that we're experimenting with. If you go out to Array Express, which is a way of storing functional genomic information uh, that are uh, gleaned from DNA microarrays, there are eight uh, stored data sets that deal with hepatocellular carcinoma. There are 206 clinical trials in clinicaltrials.gov that talk about this entity. Uh, the gene expression omnibus, another way of storing information about gene expression data, has seven elements. And there are two images that are stored in the Goldminer resource for um, um, images that, that, that relate to this particular entity. And what we're working on is technology that will allow us to index a wide range of resources out in cyberspace across all of the entities that are in hepatocellular carcinoma. And so if you go to slide 55, for example, you'll see that you can then browse the entities that are in the gene expression omnibus that relate to hepatocellular carcinoma. In fact, if you click on one, as you see on slide 56, you'll find that you can actually go directly to the experiments online and see what are the data that relates to this particular ontology entity. You can do the same for Medline and Array Express and all the other entities. So if you go to slide 57, you can see that the goal here is to find uh, ways of linking to all the online biomedical data that are related to all the entities and online clinical ontologies, which is something which, to date, uh, investigators of biomedicine have not been able to do. And the important thing is to be able to use the ontologies as the basis for the search so that one can find out uh, details which otherwise are not going to be uh, easily accessible. So, for example, when you search on hepatocellular carcinoma, uh, you get a whole bunch of microarray data. And it turns out that some of those microarray data relate not to hepatocellular carcinoma in general, but just of specific subsets of hepatocellular carcinoma. And if you were to search 
on the broad term that's uh, indicated uh, in the tree browser for the thesaurus on slide 57, a lot of those data would never be accessible. They would never show up because they're indexed or linked in their metadata to more specific entities. So one of the things that the ontology-based search allows is concept-based search where one can find not only the entity that's selected, but all the entities that are subsumed by that entity in a way which allows for much more recall and allows access to biomedical data in ways that are not possible if one can search only by the primary annotations that the authors of the data may have left uh, on these online resources. And so the ontologies really are very, very important for allowing uh, that degree of recall and that degree of comprehensiveness in, in the searching. So slide 58 shows how we do that, which is really not all that uh, sophisticated at this point, but something that's really an, an active area of experimentation for us, where we are able to use all the ontologies in the BioPartal resource, and we can uh, first go out to individual resources that we know are relevant, the ones that are listed uh, on slide 57, uh, and in slide 58 we can go to those resources, go through the data, find the metadata that uh, investigators have used to annotate those, those resources, metadata, unfortunately, that are typically in natural language that are not indexed in any kind of controlled way, but we can uh, use natural language processing techniques to go through those natural language processing metadata, uh, natural language metadata, and, and, and identify terms that we can then relate to the terms that are in the ontologies that we store in BioPortal. Once we've done that, we can use the bioportal terms, compute a transitive closure over the terms in the ontologies, and basically have the basis for indexing uh, all of the metadata in the online resources, link those metadata to ontology terms in bioportal, and not only the terms, but as I said, all of the terms that are subsumed by those terms. And then, as you see on slide 59, we have the ability to do ontology-based queries. And in this particular example, we're searching uh, BioPortal uh, for melanoma. Uh, we're going out to the various entities that we've indexed, and we can bring directly to uh, the user uh, the, all, all, all of the entities that relate to melanoma uh, that are out there in, uh, in these online resources. And again, to emphasize, uh, not only can, does our search for melanoma give us information about subsets of melanoma, but because we're using ontologies, we can search for terms like skin cancer and automatically pick up the data that would otherwise not be available if we were to search at such a high level of abstraction. And so slide 60, again, just reinforces the idea that BioPortal in this prototype allows us to link all of our ontologies to all of the data resources in ways which we think will be really exciting in order to be able to uh, have access uh, to those terms. Uh, the key question is what we see on slide 61. Um, the cornfield tells us if we build it, will they come? And we just don't know. Uh, the uh, I think what is really exciting about this work is what it could offer the biomedical community in the ability to access ontologies, in the ability to annotate and comment on ontologies, and able to identify what ontologies are useful or important, uh, and then link those ontologies to the, the data that are, that are so essential uh, for biomedical researchers. 
But, you know, I mean, the, the, the real unknown for us is will the community adapt to this way of working with ontologies? And how will we be able to evaluate uh, ways in which we can make our technologies um, even better for the purposes that we have in mind? Slide 62 summarizes what, you know, what those problems are. Uh, we really want to be able to identify who are the early adopters out in the biomedical community who recognize why this is useful. And so, for example, the Bioinformatics Research Network, the Burn folks, clearly have been early adopters. They've been really excited about being able to use BioPortal, not only for building their BurnLex ontology, but for accessing all the ontologies that they need as resources in creating BurnLex. And they're really excited about the marginal notes capability and being able to leave all their design rationale behind as an explicit uh, annotation. But it's very hard to find those early adopters, and obviously, there's, although people in biomedicine clearly are beginning to, to use the O word liberally and understand the importance of ontologies, how they will want to relate to the technology our center is creating is, is, is an unknown. And obviously, we want to be able to have enough functionality that we can draw people out and have them want to use BioPortal. And how do we end up measuring the effectiveness uh, of our technology and the way in which the technology allows investigators to get their work done? And that really requires not uh, computer scientists or technologists as much as anthropologists and sociologists who will study how science will move forward with the availability of the kind of technology that our center is building. And our real challenge now is that as we're working on the new BioPortal prototype, we're working really hard to get the opinions of biologists and clinicians in being able to design our, our system. But it's very hard for people who barely understand how ontologies will be important to them in their science to be able to close their eyes and think about how they will use technology that they really can't even quite imagine yet. And it's very hard to get feedback on the use of, of, of implementations that are just really hard for users to understand that involve abstractions that are just not easily uh, imaginable at this point. In slide 63, we list some of the classes of people who have been already members of a BioPortal user group that we started a couple months ago and the Clinical Clinical Translational Science Award recipients, immunology, the, the W3C, healthcare and life sciences, the folks from the Biopacks uh, interchange ontology for, for metabolic uh, uh, pathways, uh, the cardiovascular research grid, the cancer bioinformatics grid from MCI, HL7, uh, the model organism database community, the gene ontology consortium, and Burn and, and, and others are all active members of this uh, BioPortal users group. But, uh, I mean, the real question that we're facing is how will these folks be able to close their eyes and tell us where our technology needs to go, and will they be able to provide us the feedback we need in a prospective way? And uh, we are, we're obviously very eager to get their opinions. We're, we're using their opinions to prioritize our work, and at the same time we recognize a lot will happen as soon as we actually have prototypes that they're using in a more active way because ultimately – the world will change, their opinions will change, and it will be very exciting, actually, to see how they can then start to give us more feedback on, on, on how we need to move forward. So in slide 64, we sort of summarize uh, the BioPortal uh, community 
really will, will, will consist of a large range of biomedical and clinical scientists who will develop, upload, and apply ontologies to their fundamental work in biomedicine. Uh, BioPortal will provide the kinds of features that will allow those users to map ontologies to one another, either by bulk uploading of mappings to tools such as prompts or mappings that they create almost by doodling as they search from one ontology to another. Uh, BioPortal is going to provide this marginal notes facility, which will provide users to give feedback to one another, to ontology developers, and will provide ontology developers themselves a way of, of uh, capturing design rationale in a way that's not possible in the way that current ontologies are built. Um, BioPortal provides technology for making specific proposals for changes to ontologies, for voting on those, those changes. We'll have to see how that, that, that technology gets used, and they'll be able to use active feeds to stay informed about the changes to the ontologies that they care about, about proposals or, or marginalia that are entered regarding ontologies that users care about. And I think for us it will be very exciting to see how this technology gets used. And really we're looking forward to opportunities to study how the use of ontologies in biomedicine evolves with the availability of these kinds of, of features that are certainly have not been available to the community previously. And so to conclude, the National Center for Biomedical Ontology is really a very broad initiative that involves a large number of groups collaborating together that are working on a, a wide range of, of, of things. What I've talked about today is how the BioPortal uh, technology fits within NCBO. And ultimately, the goal of the center overall is to provide the BioPortal technology for archiving ontologies, for accessing ontologies, browsing, visualizing, peer review, mapping, and versioning ontologies and to make ontologies accessible through one-stop shopping. But at the same time, we have more fundamental goals of educating the community about the principles of ontology development and use. And fundamentally, our, our, our ambition is to serve as a generalizable model for how ontologies and formal knowledge representation can get used not only in biomedicine, but in e-science more broadly and, and, and perhaps in other areas. And I think one of the things that would be very exciting for us is not get, not only getting feedback from our own community of users regarding how BioPortal and other technologies will play out within biomedicine, but I'm very excited about not, about working with the ontologue community and other communities more, more broadly as we develop technologies which we think will generalize the needs of everyone who's interested in formal knowledge representation and who recognizes the importance of being able to develop canonical representations for a wide range of purposes that range from data integration to standardized uh, data communication uh, to all the things which bring us together within the ontologue community. And so with that, let me uh, move to slide 66 and, and, and take your questions. Thank you very much, uh, Mark. I mean, all I can say is, wow. Uh, so let me repeat the mechanics again. Uh, we are getting into the segment where we will do Q&A and discussion. I will request everyone who would want to uh, have a question or make a comment to now press 1-1 on the keypad and then we could go down the uh, list and, and take questions and comments. 
Dr. Mason, Professor Mason. The question is about uh, not the hierarchy of folders that uh, the classifications in ontologies represent, but the question is about relationships, more like neural connections of parts of uh, information with other parts of information for synthesis. Are there ontologies that address that aspect? Well, I, th I think one of the primary goals for people building ontologies is to use those ontologies for synthesizing data that are created from multiple experiments. And so there's some really good examples of how people have used the gene ontology uh, or the NCI thesaurus or other well-known ontologies to bring together information that comes from, for example, from genomics and from uh, people who are studying proteins to people who are studying uh, tissue structure or, or, or tissue morphology. And I think this is really a very important use of ontologies overall. And so the answer is absolutely, and, and, and because so much of what we do in biology involves bringing together disparate kinds of data, this is why working ontology is so important. The synthesis of knowledge from multiple ontologies or multiple classification trees is, uh, is done uh, at human level, but the ontologies do not represent the relationship capture among different entities other than in a hierarchical file as we see. Okay, that's actually, okay, now I understand your question. And, and, and actually the ontologies are richer than simply providing taxonomic relationships. And although the tree browsers typically use those taxonomic relationships as the primary way by which they present the ontologies in these, in these kinds of resources. One of the things that Barry Smith, for example, has taken the lead on, which I think is really an important initiative, is to create some kind of uh, set of standards for how ontology developers relate the terms that are in their ontologies so that it is possible to look across ontologies and, 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 and integrate them uh, so that the ways in which concepts are related to one another uh, is reasonably controlled. And so I, I don't have time to go into details here, but I'm sure if you go to Barry's website, you can read about the relations ontology which provides, I think, uh, the beginning of a framework for having a coherent way of relating the entities and ontologies to one another. And that's, that, that will obviously provide the kind of integration that you're talking about. Thank you, sir. Please put that sure. link on our website if you can. Thank you. Yes, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, absolutely. Hi, Mark. Uh, this is Cecil. Hi, Cecil. Great presentation. Um, I, a question comes to mind when, uh, specifically in your example, of the marginal note uh, for the disjunction. Yes. Um, you know, uh, some of this is going to be difficult to sort out from uh, the underlying knowledge versus the ontology. And uh, how do you see dividing that line, for instance, if you were going to really evaluate an ontology of ICD-9, for instance? You're going to find a lot of uh, of the classes there are not uh, really what we would consider to be properly constructed. But that's not really a, an issue of the ontology. It's an issue of the underlying vocabulary used to structure the ontology. 
Right. Well, as you saw on slide 37, uh, we're working on creating uh, an ontology of marginal notes uh, specifically for the purpose of being able to classify the nature of the comment that a user might make on an ontology. And uh, we view that as important because, as you're saying, some comments may relate to form, some may relate to content, some may relate to the nature of the distinctions that are being made or the relationships that are being used among entities, uh, and some may be more cosmetic. And we think it's important to create this kind of structure uh, so that we can have users filter out those, those comments which may be less relevant to them. And so computer-based agents can also focus on the comments that may be particularly important for a particular quality assurance task. I mean, part of the problem here is that we don't have a lot of experience in knowing what kinds of comments people might want to make if given the opportunity. Uh, the ontology that we have now was created largely by looking at the kinds of discussions that people have in, e in email lists about uh, ontologies on the OBO site. Uh, but as we refine our ontology of marginal notes, we're hoping that we can be able to do a better job of creating this kind of classification. Great question. Right. Yeah, I, I can see that that would, would help, although I, I think also when you start with a, uh, if you start with a relationship based on a, a poor concept, uh, that's, uh, that becomes a transitive relationship to your comments, uh, your annotations of your marginal notes all the way through the process. It's, it's quite a challenge. It really is, and that's why we don't know how users will use or abuse this. Uh, we don't know how usable um, the marginal note ontology will be in terms of providing the kind of structure that we would like to be able to separate out these different kinds of comments, but uh, uh, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I think this is, this is an important experiment. Thank you. Sure. So let's start with the person from area code 908. Uh, please uh, do Hi, a Peter, thought this is Pat Yes, this is Pat Cassidy. Can you hear yeah, me? We can hear you, yes. Okay, go ahead. Pat. Yeah, uh, Mark, uh, this is really great work, and, and it's exciting in many respects. Uh, one, one particular issue you raised was the question of um, evaluation and you're working toward methods of evaluation. I have two suggestions. One is the uh, that you can automatically provide at least one um, facet of evaluation by uh, measuring the average text documentation for each element in the ontology. My, my experience has been that the more documentation tends to associate with uh, better quality ontologies. But um, the more importantly, perhaps, uh, you're in a position, if you're going to be doing any kinds of evaluations, of, of doing the world a great favor by selecting, uh, by selecting, by creating a foundation ontology uh, of, of the abstract concepts, which will be reusable uh, by many different ontologies. And, and you know, it, it can have multiple components from existing uh, utility ontologies, including, for example, the relation ontology from the Obel Foundry. Uh, and a method of evaluation would be to ask how many references from individual submitted ontologies are there to the common foundation ontology. Uh, what that will measure is the level of reusability among the ontologies. That the, the more the uh, different ontologies have common references in the basic foundation ontology and the more uh, reusable they're likely to be. That will also provide a, a motivation for the contributors of the ontologies to make suggestions 
uh, to uh, for additions or revisions or whatever of the foundation ontology, which uh, in such a way that it might suit their purposes better. I think that's a real good point, Pat. I think one of the things that we will obviously do is try to count and measure everything that we can count and measure automatically um, because that's that's far easier than trying to understand the broader sociological uh, questions, although I think those are, are important as well. And I think one of the things that will be interesting is as we make this technology more available, whether in measurable ways the ontologies that people submit get better, and obviously we hope so. And then, then of course, there's a credit assignment uh, problem of, as to determining why they might be getting better. But uh, hopefully, at least the bottom line is that we'll see improvement in the quality overall, and that everyone should be happy with that. Yeah, but I, I, the, the point I, I, I was also would like to make is that the, you're, you're in a position to actually do something which hasn't been possible with respect to trying to promote the, the use of a common foundation ontology. That uh, you know, it, there there have been efforts, as you're well aware, of, of trying to develop one by volunteer communities, and it hasn't worked out basically because, uh, in my interpretation, uh, the work is just too compl complicated to be done uh, without real seriously funded effort. That it's not something that can be done in spare time. No. Um, but uh, that with with the if if the um, that your your National Center for Biomedical Ontology were to choose, uh, sorry, it, it create one. You can you can start with anything and then and have it open to modification. Uh, create a foundation ontology that you will use as your your official foundation ontology, and it, it doesn't necessarily do anything except again provide a a, uh, a point where the contributors to the uh, to the ontology inventory can refer and say yeah, that these are the things. And in particular here, um, you can create uh, a um, common foundation ontology. And if anybody in any of the contributing ontologies say that, they're, that they, uh, they believe that their element or relation or whatever is, is identical to what's in the common foundation ontology, then they should actually have a copy of the um, uh, the documentation in the foundation ontology, which, which they may or may not annotate. But the idea being that, that they, if people accept, in, in their local ontology, if they accept the definitions and the intended meanings in, in the common foundation ontology as being what they also mean by their class or relationship, uh, then you, you'll have the beginnings of, of some serious uh, interoperability. And uh, the point here is that this, is, this can be done without substantial funding. It may be, from what I've seen, maybe the best opportunity to make progress without substantial funding. Because funding would be much far better, far better than <laughs> funding per project. But if we don't, you know, that's a great point. And I think as as people leave marginal notes in the upper level ontology, that actually provides uh, roadmarks for, for for new users to be able to understand how those concepts can get used. So I, yeah. I think it's really is a very good idea. Okay, uh, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Mark. Uh, next in line is someone from the area code 202. And if you unmute yourself uh, and speak up, please. I believe that was myself. Uh, Mark, this is Susan, Susan Turnbull. A really fabulous presentation. Can you hear me? Yeah, thanks, yes. Susan. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, my, my question is, I guess, leaning more on the on the people side recognizing this this question of the 
importance of being able to um, model this uh, the new social behavior. And I mean, you've painted a picture that really really comes to life, but how it might be possible to you know make make that um, feel you know, real faster. And if you think of how young scientists learn by looking over the shoulder of an older scientist, I was thinking perhaps um, um, maybe uh, talking with CDC and almost running a simulated um, script with, you know, avatars of basically, you know, like in Second Life, just like walking through this process, even the young scientists or interns that would be uh, doing some of the um, – uh, notes in the margin from the the active work uh, on on the team where it, it's almost like you you make real more real in I mean have it like a YouTube type video but very low cost no actors nothing but I almost think it would help to make this new way of interacting sort of the the cultural protocol come come alive, and, and I think I, I'm keying on your generalizable model, because I mean, I think NASA, I think NOAA, all the, all the realms where that formalized knowledge process and integration is so key, and I, I think you've hit on a really fabulous approach that's very generative, so I'd, I'd like to see it um, kick off. Well, so would we, and, and I thank you for your, your comments and suggestions. Uh, I think... Um, I think it'll be, I'm, I'm just incredibly excited about seeing what happens when we actually have enough critical mass to be able to evaluate how it gets used. And I think uh, having low-cost ways of trying to evaluate that is really important. That's a good idea. Thank you for the comment and suggestion, Susan. Uh, next in line is someone from the area code 301. Uh, if you unmute yourself with the star 3, uh, please. Uh, announce itself, make sure we can hear you, and then go ahead. I, that might be me, Steve Ray, uh, in Gaithersburg. Hi, Mark. Hi, Peter. Um, I am similarly excited by what you talked about today, Mark, and uh, it actually has huge parallels with the standards development world, as you might imagine, where people are trying to come together and agree on terms, etc. <laughs> Um, and, in fact, I think I'd like to probably talk with you at some point about how perhaps some of the infrastructure could very directly be tried out in the standards development world, whether or not it works in the biomedical ontology world. Um, I, I think it could work very well for a couple of reasons, and these are the same reasons where you may end up with some real problems in in your world. Um uh, and it has to do with some of the properties of, I think, when people are coming together trying to agree on terms. Is, is everyone hearing me, by the way? Oh, yes, yes. Okay. okay. I just want to make sure I'm not talking in a vacuum here. Um, uh, one is that when people are coming together to, uh, you know, annotate each other's work and stuff, certainly in the standards world, the inevitable thing is, is and in fact, by design and standards, the loss of identity. So uh, it's no longer owned by any one person per se. And uh, sort of a corollary of that, of course, is the loss of recognition. Uh, no one person is going to be able to claim it's their ontology or, in my world, it's their standard. Um, standards don't have people's names on them uh, by design. 
but uh, the consequence of that is that uh, you're going to run the risk of, you know, the what's in it for me uh, aspect of motivation for people to invest the time and energy to provide, you know, thoughtful and deep comments on someone else's ontology. Um, typically in the standards world, it works if it's your job to work on that kind of thing. And it can be your job because your company has decided that, you know, this particular standard is really important for the company or, uh, you know, whatever reason of a given company or an organization like mine would have. Um, I think it's one reason why you don't see a lot of academics in Stanishin for the amount of time they invest in developing a standard. And so some of this speaks back to, I would imagine, in the biomedical ontology community, which is a largely uh, there's a large representation of the academic community, you're going to have to confront the issue of reward for uh, work performed if it's not easily discernible uh, that you did work because you're contributing to a larger pool where it's not easy to tell who did what and who gets recognized. So that's, that's I think, going to be one of the barriers is the old human nature, I need to do something where I get, you know, credit for what I do. And uh, working for the communal good is uh, more difficult. Not impossible, of course. I mean, there's lots of open source examples in the software world. But I think the retention of identity and, and recognition may play into that pretty largely. No, I, I think that's a real good point. And I think in general there's a, there's a problem in the academic community of getting people to start doing the things that they need to do for the common good when the previous reward structures just are not as relevant. I mean, the whole notion of journal publication as the uh, – uh, the lingua franca by which people measure contributions to science and it has to has to change. Um, and I think I think it'd be interesting, obviously, to explore uh, communities such as the manufacturing world where uh, the, the incentives are different. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's really those are really good points. Okay, we'll talk later maybe about using some of this in the standards world, though. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, you, you, you folks obviously do this for a living, but I think uh, these kinds of systems that will allow us to look at standards, which increasingly are, are, are standardized ontologies, and they will understand how to relate to one another may be really critical. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you, Steve. Uh, thank you, Mark. Well, while Steve is uh, online, actually, uh, I have a remark to make. Uh, more than a year ago, I mean, at one of uh, Brand Neiman's uh, Semantic Interoperability Conference, uh, Steve made a remark to me saying that, I mean, as demo pulled their funding, their, some uh, demo-based ontologies were sort of left hanging and suggested that maybe some effort could be put together to uh, do an open ontology uh, repository. Uh, of some sort, uh, and later we I found out from Steve that uh, BPN had volunteered, and uh, more recently I got uh, in touch with uh, Mike Dean of BPN, who told us that the demo ontologies are now safely hosted uh, at W3C, I mean physically at MIT, but uh, 
administered or maintained by by him. And so between uh, Mike and Leo Overs uh, on the walk and myself, uh, we are now trying to put together a group of people to maybe uh, rekindle that conversation to see if uh, we could sort of as a wider community put together an open ontology repository effort. Uh, I mean, looking at what you've done or some of the vision you you are putting into uh, into the uh, bio portal. I mean, this is almost exactly what the rest of the world needs. I mean, not just the biomedical folks, but I mean everybody else. So uh, I mean, I've already uh, included. Tim Redman, I mean, from your group, uh, in the conversation, I, and uh, we are going to have a planning meeting uh, on January 3rd, uh, which is a Thursday, same time, same sort of ontolog uh, conference call time, and I definitely would look forward to maybe Mark yourself and some of the other people like uh, Steve and uh, Kay Goodyear, uh, who's on, online here also, and, and those of you who are working on uh, registries and repositories uh, to come join us to sort of thresh things out. Sounds like a good idea. Yep. Okay. Uh, the gentleman who, who, asked, uh, who was speaking earlier uh, from 313, I mean, had, had his hand up for a little bit already, so please go ahead. Uh, Dr. Ravi Sharma. Yes, yes, Ravi. Yes. Uh, yes, could, could you speak up? You're very soft. Oh, how is it now? Uh, it, it, uh, yes, it's better, but still very marginal. Okay, I will speak loud then. Yes, please. Is that better? Yes, yes. Okay. Steve Ray's comments, Dr. Ray's comments are very relevant because any classification system in ontology uh, depends on namespace standards. So among other standards, at least the namespace standards would be the minimum that they would agree on. Now, uh, that is just my comment on Steve's comment. Now, my own question. First is a little bit to bring light humor. Um, the slide number 61, if we build it, will they come? So <laughs> genetic, genetically engineered crop, whether it's wheat or whatever, but uh, they all look the same. So I hope we don't get a person uh, and call it a community and then they are all identical in their thoughts and contributions. It's just a lighter side of things. But the uh, important uh, uh, other areas that I want to talk about are in slide number 59, which is extracting metadata from the searches and then relating them to a previous slide, like 172 closure annotations and 171 useful. So apparently this particular process of um, of categorizing whatever the object in yellow is um, 